I want to share with you today a blogger's personal nightmare. You know what that is. You write an article, you post it on a social media platform, and somebody pulls a point or that blurb that you posted on that social media platform, and they pull it out and they respond in an unkind way. This often happens to me after I post something on Facebook. Someone will respond uncharitably without doing the work of understanding the context or taking the time to ask questions about what they are reading. But this is more common than just on social media platforms. You hear a story. Someone comes to you in your church meeting and they share a one-sided story, the perspective of one individual. You hear it and respond too quickly, impulsively, without understanding the full extent of the story. One of the reasons that we do that, and I do say we because we all are guilty of this, is that there is a temptation to map our experience over what we are hearing or what we are reading. Whether you're reading a short little blurb on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or you're hearing a one-sided story, it is so easy to map your experience over what you are reading and therefore come to an inaccurate conclusion and even worse than that, you respond in an angry way. I want to talk about that in this podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read the article that I'm sharing with you, you can go on our website, rickthomas.net. The title of it is, Slow Down Before You Map Your Experience Over Others. If you want to share this with others, I would encourage you to do so. It would be a helpful discussion for us to have. We need to have it every now and then because we need to remind ourselves how easy It is to filter whatever it is that we're reading or listening to through our own experience without trying to think as objectively as we possibly can and as comprehensively as we need to. And then when we do that, well, we narrow what we're reading or what we're listening to down to our perspective. When it comes to Facebook, I call call these folks drive-by shooters. They function with a ready, fire, aim mentality towards social media. They blow in, they blow up, they blow out, never to be seen again. Well, not until the next blurb, which they take issue. They illustrate this common temptation for all of us. It is natural to interpret life from our personal experience. And it's not wrong, by the way, so I don't want you to over-criticize yourself. Because we only have one window that we are seeing things through. You can only look through your eyes. You can only listen from your experience and what you know. Cornelius Van Til talked about this when he wrote his books on presuppositional apologetics. He said that there are no neutral or brute facts. What he means is, is that we interpret everything that we see not from a neutral perspective, but from a subjective perspective. You know this, if you put any two people in a room and you ask them a question about something or ask them what they are looking at, two people can be looking at the same thing, but they're gonna draw different conclusions from what they're looking at 
because they're looking at it through their own unique windows. This idea of no neutral or brute facts, what it means is that we precede every fact. We come before every story, every thought, every idea. And what precedes the fact is our belief system that has been shaped by many things that have happened to us. I'll give you the abbreviated version of a story that I had with uh, two counselees many years ago as they were looking at a mug, a cup, a coffee mug, in my office. And I asked the husband and the wife what they thought about it. And the wife talked to me at length about that mug. And, of course, she was sharing it through the window from which she was looking at my mug. And then the gentleman, when it was his turn, I asked him, what does he see when he looks at my mug? And he, he said a simple word. He said, Arizona. That was the only thing that he said. So I asked him, why did you say that? And he said, well, when I see the mug, I think about earth tones in southwest United States, and it reminds me of Arizona. And so he said one word, and, and she talked about it at length. The reason for that, two people looking at the fact the mug, but they are looking through their unique windows. And that's why Cornelius Van Til said there are no neutral facts. We precede every fact with our belief system, and our belief system has been shaped by many different things. The point is, is that nobody enters into a discussion knowing everything there is to know about the situation. Nobody walks into a conversation with the ability to suspend their shaping influences so they can be objective about what they perceive and what they want to say. And that's why it's important. If you're, if you're the impulsive type and you spend time on social media and you read a blurb that's from a larger context, which virtually all of them are, then you need to do one or two things, maybe both, is you need to go to the context where that blurb is extracted from, and you need to read the context so you know exactly what the, the author or the content creator is talking about. The second thing is you need to ask questions about what you're reading. You want to begin by asking questions rather than making statements, and so if you are the impulsive type, don't be lazy. Don't live in the, in the isolated world of social media without going outside of it uh, to get the whole truth about what you are, what you're commenting on. I want to give you three examples about why, how we come to this place of doing this, how our everyday life experiences can leave an indelible impact on how a person interprets life. We call these shaping influences. Everybody is shaped by many things. Adam, obviously, is, is our first shaping influence. We are born in Adam, totally depraved. I say that we're totally depraved and uniquely fallen because when the child, after the child is born, yeah, they are totally depraved, but they are uniquely fallen because no two children, no two human beings are the same. And so Adam becomes a powerful shaping influences, influence, but there are also other shaping influences in our life as well. And I want to talk about three shaping influences 
that make us into the kind of person that we are and how those shaping influences give us our interpretation to how we respond to things. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of shaping influences, obviously, and you need to think about how things have shaped you as well. And my point in sharing this with you is to help you to think through our lack of objectivity which I hope it will motivate us to hold our interpretations loosely because, again, we are looking at all facts. We're looking at them through our unique windows. Here is one powerful shaping influence that I have experienced in my counseling career, and that's coming out of a legalistic religious culture. A legalistic culture is an environment where rules and List and secondary preferences can be equal to or even function to supplant the gospel. When I talk about secondary preferences, I'm talking about secondary, tertiary matters. I'm not talking about the main thing. The main thing is the gospel, and it never changes. And there's only one interpretation for the gospel, and we can't do anything or we shouldn't do anything to tear away at the fabric of the gospel. But virtually everything else in our religious life is secondary. But in a legalistic culture, they can make the rules, their list, these secondary preferences equal to the main thing. And, and one of the side effects of a rule-based system is that it creates a fear-based culture. A fear-based culture where how you present yourself becomes the basis for being accepted or rejected. We're always comparing ourselves to other people, looking up and down other people to see how they are, comparing ourselves to them to make sure that, that we are walking in line and that we're not doing anything outside of the accepted norms within that culture. It is in this kind of culture the temptation to present yourself falsely while assessing and uncharitably judging other people for how they present themselves. These can be natural temptations that we succumb to. If the person is not able to keep up with the pretense of behavioristic religion, he will more than likely sour with the lifestyle while looking for less restrict restrictive environments. After a while, this kind of culture becomes too much of a burden to bear. It becomes too hard to always toe the line, hit the marks, do it exactly the way others do it on secondary matters because you don't want to be rejected. You want to be accepted. You don't want to be judged uncharitably. And if that burden becomes too hard to bear, you can begin to look for less restrictive environments. In many of these cases, the expatriate makes what I call the grace mistake. They blow out of this legalistic religious culture and they land into the world of grace and they make the grace mistake. And what I mean by the grace mistake is they choose to live with fewer rules and more freedom. They typically shudder or even react angrily to anyone who tells them what to do. You're a legalist is how they will respond. When hurt people leave a legalistic culture and land in a grace environment, their previous life experience weighs so heavy on them that they call all mandates to live wholly as being judgmental. 
It's nearly impossible to give these kinds of people directive counsel that requires holiness, standards, disciplines, because they only have one way of interpreting holiness, standards, and discipline as legalism. And that's not what you're saying at all. They hear that directive care as, you're judging me, or don't tell me what to do. These people have experienced legitimate hurts by others. And the only kind of religion they know is a mean-spirited, demanding person who makes secondary standards more important than what they should be. It is, imper- it is important for us to for us soul care providers, disciple makers, that when we interact with these former legalists who are living in the world of grace, who have an angry attitude toward legalism, and thus they get upset because you talk about disciplines and rules and holiness and standards, it's important that they have had these powerful shaping influences in their lives, and that's why they are reacting this way, and we want to provide care for them. But my point for this article is, or for this podcast, is that these types of people, it is such a powerful shaping influence that when they read anything without asking questions or trying to suspend their shaping influence, they respond in a reactionary and uncharitable way. And so one of the shaping influences that creates this powerful life experience that It makes the filters so hard for them that they inevitably map their experience over everything, which is not what they should be doing. Well, this shaping influence is a legalistic culture. Now, a second illustration is an individual who comes from a home with a mean father. Adults reared in a home where the father was not a sincere or a close replication of God the Father This kind of dad will shape a false interpretation of who God is because they have been, the child has been indelibly affected by this experience with their harsh and angry father. One of the most potent shaping influences in a child's life is their experience with their father. To be shaped by our earthly fathers is an inescapable reality for all of us meaning you can't, get, you can't get out of childhood without being shaped by your father. It is impossible for a child not to be influenced by their father. I remember watching a British TV show with my daughter that was talking about a man living in the wilderness. The Brit was struggling. He was tired. He was thirsty when he said, quote, I could murder a cup of tea. To which my eight-year-old daughter asked, Daddy? What does murder mean? Well, she knew what murder meant, but she had never heard of it in that context. To kill a cup of tea? I explained to her what the Brit meant. My daughter knew the meaning of murder, but to hear another view stretched her beyond her understanding. Now, this illustration presents the problem that any child could have if their experience with an earthly father is different from God the Father. Too many adults have difficulty thinking about a God as being kind, loving, merciful, gracious, and forgiving. That was not their experience. They came to the Father timid and fearful while expecting the relationship not to go well with them because not relating well to a Father is all they knew. 
And so this is a second powerful shaping influence that could tempt a person to map their experience over what they are reading or what they are listening to. Now here's a third one, and that's coming out of a horrible marriage. There are no, there are no good ways to explain what it's like to be in a horrible marriage. Experiencing it is to understand it. And if you have been in an awful relationship, or if you're in one right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A horrible marriage is a life sentence with no possibility of being set free until you die. Now, another type of horrible marriage is, is one where a spouse commits adultery. I have had this experience, and this kind of devastation too has no parallel. It is impossible to go through unfaithfulness of a spouse and divorce and not be negatively shaped by that, by that experience. A horrible marriage is like a dark cloud that never goes away. And after a while, that darkness will not only shape you, but it will control how you think about and respond to life. Some of those responses to life are anger, cynicism, jealousy, despair. For the spouses who cannot get out of their marriages, they seek distractions by immersing themselves in things that can take their minds away from what they can't escape, their horrible spouse. Two of the more common distractions are children. Mothers typically do this as they preoccupy themselves with their children as a means of escape from a prison that they can never escape from. And then the other is work. Work is one of those distractions, and men typically do this. Another, a third one is ministry. Many Christians will absorb themselves into ministry as a way of having a brief respite from their miserable marriage and so I've given you three illustrations here, powerful shaping influences that creates an interpretive filter for how you see life. And these shaping influences can be so strong that you can, without even thinking, map this, this experience, these experiences over what you are, should be interpreting more objectively. One is a legalistic culture. Two, is being reared by a mean father. And three, coming out of a horrible or being part of a horrible marriage. All three of these illustrations are real. And they make up a large part of our Christian culture. There is never a week where I do not interact and engage with a person who experienced shaping in one of these ways. In fact, as I was getting ready for this podcast, someone wrote in on our live chat feature and they asked a question about living with an angry man who is harsh and angry and has bouts of daily volatile rage. Of course, we don't interact with these on our live chat platform. Our live chat feature is for directing people throughout our sanctification warehouse. And so I directed this spouse to our forum so that they can ask their question there. That is where we interact with your questions. 
And then as I continued getting ready for this podcast, that question did come through on our forum. As I said, there's never a week that goes by where I don't interact or engage with a person who has experienced one of these shaping influences. And this is not an exhaustive list, obviously. It may be more fair to say that there's never a day that goes by where somebody in my world, within this ministry, that they come to us. We have thousands of people that come to us every day. And so I hear this all the time. These are amazingly powerful, shaping influences, and they become the filter for how a person thinks about God, how they think about other people, how they think about life. The strength of the filter determines what kind of restructuring that needs to take place to correct a problem with the person's interpretations. A significant part of my Christian experience is trying to tear down these anti-biblical filters that have shaped me while restructuring a new interpretive grid that looks more like what the Bible teaches. Many of you know that the Lord regenerated me when I was 25 years old, so I had a quarter of a century of poor shaping influences of all sorts of things, not just a mean, abusive father. And interesting enough, after I became a Christian, I went into a legalistic culture, a legalistic culture that is really as I have just described to you. So I tacked on several more years after salvation. Trying to deprogram my mind is what I've been doing for the past few decades. Now part of that process requires practical and helpful tips that you can apply to your life. And so what I want to do is I want to give you four practical and helpful tips that will help you in the process of restructuring the wrong shaping influences in your life. These are the things that I think about. And to help you think about this, I have an infographic in this article that you're welcome to look at. I'll try to describe the concept of the infographic. But if you want to read this article, I would encourage you to do that. Go to our website rickthomas.net. Look for this article, Slow Down, before you map your experience over others. And so let me give you four practical tips that will help you to restructure your mind from poor or wrong-shaping influences in your life. And again, you can use this graphic if you want, but I'll share the concept of it with you. The first practical tip is this idea of omniscience. As As all of us know, we are not omniscient. A theological term that means we are not all-knowing. Omniscience means you know everything. I knew everything when I was 19. I hit the peak of omniscience at 19, and I've been getting dumber and dumber ever since. Coming to this reality that we don't know everything is actually a wonderful place to be. And though this should be common knowledge, and no one but an insane person would dispute this idea that we're not omniscient, we still have trouble applying this truth to our lives. How easy is it for you to think you know what you know, particularly when someone hurts your feelings? How many spouses have charged headlong into a dispute with their spouse, fully confident 
of their interpretation of the facts. I would like to say that I have never done that in my marriage, but I would be lying. I do that. How many times have you heard the sad story of someone who has been offended by another and you gave counsel based on a one-sided story? I think it would be safe to say we all have made these mistakes. These occurrences is is what this info is why this infographic that I have here is so helpful. It's communicating the idea that we don't know everything. No matter how much we think we know about a story, we do not see the whole story. No matter what you think you know about that blurb that you read on Facebook, you do not know the whole story. This truth should put a governor on our mouths while causing sober reflection before we speak or send that email, send that text or post paste our thoughts on social media. The first practical, helpful tip that will help you to restructure the wrong shaping influences in your life. Number one, you're not omniscient. Number two, humility. Humility grows in our hearts. We do not know everything. And as you think about this idea of not knowing everything, no matter how much you think you know about a situation, there's always another side of a story, it should grow a heart of humility. An example of this is in situations where, let's say, an employer fires an individual. It is easy for the friends of the fired person to take up an offense for their friend. Loving their friend's a good thing, but where the situation can go wrong is to think you know the whole story. For example, the people who work with this person eight to ten hours a day, five days a week, they have a perspective that their friends cannot have. They may know him in many contexts outside of work, but they do not see him in every situation like inside of work. You also see this in some marriages where one spouse presents the other spouse as a bad person, which may be true to a degree. In fact, I would say it's absolutely true to agree that every spouse is a bad person. But the problem here is that the friend of the spouse talking critically about the marriage does not know this person, the critical person, inside the relationship that she or he is criticizing. It takes two to make a relationship awful. And if the hearer of the complaint does not consider their lack of omniscience, they could uncharitably judge while reacting wrongly to this critical spouse. And so one practical tip is omniscience. You don't know everything. Another practical tip is humility, which is what a lack of omniscience should create in, in you. And then a third practical tip is self-suspicion. The humble heart is self-aware of their lack of knowledge, which motivates them to be self-suspicious. Being self-suspicious is not a bad thing. It's a wise thing. The overconfident person can be a dangerous person. Even how we think about the Bible should be held self-suspiciously. If God regenerated you for more than a few years, you know this is true. Think about some of the things you believed right before the Lord regenerated you. 
I could give you a long list of things I thought were right when I was a young Christian that I do not believe any longer. As I think back over 30 plus years of being a Christian, the things that I believed back then I don't believe or practice any longer. As I told you, I was a part of a legalistic church culture. The truth is that I am less confident about many of the things I accept today that I was, I was that I was I was more confident about when I was younger. And while I can be fully confident in the gospel, the main thing I tend to hold other things with a looser grip. If I have learned anything from history, it's this. There are some things I used to believe that I do not think any longer, which means some of the things I accept today I will no longer value in the future. There are holes in what we believe, and it would be wise and humble to admit this. Submitting yourself to omniscience is not a bad thing. And so you are not omniscient. You should act out in humility. You should be self-suspicious. I said there were four practical tips that I wanted to give you, but as I'm working through this article, I only, I only see three. Uh, let, let me do this. One of the most practical things we could do regarding our lack of omniscience is to ask more questions and make, uh, than making statements. That would be your fourth practical, practical tip. Ask more questions than make statements. How many times has someone told you things how things were when it would have been far better if they would have asked you a few questions first. I have some call to action here at the bottom of this uh, podcast. And if you want to read all about it, you're welcome to do that. Go to the article, slow down before you map your experience over others. Thank you so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.